He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. I want to welcome everybody listening. I want to hear with the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their world's case. You know, not a whole lot going on down here. Just excited to talk about another performer tonight that I worked at the movie theater during their heyday. So pretty much every movie we're going to talk to tonight... I tore a ticket for it, so I'm very pumped about that. Warren? Uh, I had the opportunity today to go see Tenet, but the weather's real nice, so I went and golfed and uh, did better on 18 than that cheap-ass Roy McAvoy, so um, <laughs> we'll, we'll dive into that one here in a little bit. <laughs> Probably did better than uh, I would have, that's for sure. All it had to be was better than a 12, so. <laughs> it's a win. And you probably spent less time on the course than you would have spent in the theaters watching Tenet. Probably true. Because that movie is long as hell. In my world baseball season wrapped up i'm actually headed back to indianapolis this upcoming weekend for a hockey tournament so james i'll be back in your backyard i'm busy sorry can't i can't do i can't hang out sorry oh trust me i wasn't gonna text you anyway so <laughs> I, I can't hang out kyle stop asking it's embarrassing <laughs> i can't hang out i thought i could pressure you publicly and then you know a little <laughs> shame would come your way um but other than that like like warren the weather was beautiful in baltimore today so windows were open was outside for a while and enjoying the uh, early fall excited about it rigby uh yeah like warren i played golf on sunday and like roy mcavoy i hit it in the water about four times in a row as well and i didn't hole one out from about 150 yards away so overall it was it was nice to be out in the good weather but it was a very very shitty uh golf performance by my part it happens that's the way golf's intended to be played but i'm happy to uh discuss some russo tonight i'm very excited she's an actress in some of my favorite movies so this is a good episode for me james this uh, podcast is coming out on my wife's birthday, and so I will be dealing with the repercussions of that. <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, I'm not in trouble yet, but, you know, the day is young. Happy birthday, James's <laughs> wife. <laughs> she says thank you, I'm sure. <laughs> if you guys are listening, please go on, on our Instagram and say nice things about her. <laughs> Roger that. Fully support it. We got some birthdays for September 24th. Warren, tell us about them. Yeah, September 24th didn't have that much going for it. Um, We've got one person who's still alive, big ups, and then uh, (laughs) RIP for our other two. uh, (laughs) First off, we got Ben Platt from Pitch Perfect 1 and 2, Dear Heaven Hansen, The Politician, and Ricky and the Flash. Hmm. The one who's alive. That's good. Could have fooled me. (laughs) <laughs> I think he's young. I'm going to go like 32. 34. Just going based on what they're saying, I'm going to say 40, but I have no idea who you guys are talking about. You didn't pay attention to the texts? No, I never do. Warren, when you text, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> I'm going to play the uh, Price is Right game, and I'm going to go 21. All right, he's 27. Jesus Christ. Right. He's got a fucking awesome career at 27. So Jesus, I guess. All right, Jim Henson, The Muppets, Sesame Street, The Dark Crystal, and The Henson Company did The Happy Time Murders. 
a movie that sucks. That's the Melissa McCarthy puppet movie. I'm going to go he would be 87 today. Oh, give me 91. Ooh. Damn. I'm going to say I thought I, I thought he passed away pretty young. But I remember that. I'm going to say 75. I'll go uh, 79. He would be 84. He passed away in 1990 at the age of 53. There is a Henson connection to Rene Russo that I'll talk about here in a little bit, too. Oh, interesting. Next up, we've got Phil Hartman. Oh, rest in peace. Saturday Night Live, So I Married an Axe Murder. Jingle All the Way and Small Soldiers. (laughs) He died in 97, I know that. He's tough because he looked old even when he was young. Dude, he's fucking hilarious. He died in 98. 98, I'm sorry. He's so funny, though, man. I'm going to say the caveman lawyer would have been 70. Uh, I'm going to say Jay McClure would have been 72. (laughs) 65. Nice. 68. Rigby on the dot, 72. Nice. Damn it. Nice. Died in 1998 at the age of 49. Big RIPs for uh, two of them and Ben Platt, stay healthy. Yeah, man. Did I get his name right? Was he Jay McClure in The Simpsons, or did I, think I get it's that? Tro- Troy McClure. Troy, <laughs> Troy McClure. <laughs> you might remember me. You might oh. remember me from. <laughs> <laughs> so we had five actors that we put onto the wheel, and those five were Gene Hackman, Josh Brolin, Margot Martindale, Ooh. aka yeah, <laughs> Warren's favorite, Oscar <laughs> Isaac, and Rene Russo. And by now, you know that we are uh, we're going to cover Rene Russo. So we're covering Renee, and uh, before we dig into her career, which is a long career, but as we'll talk about, not a ton of projects in that career, James is going to hit us with a little actor trivia. So you guys know the deal? Two truths and a lie. The lie is going to be a fact about one of the many stars of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Fact number one, her first acting role was at the age of two, where she starred in a Pampers commercial as a chubby baby. Fact number two. She was diagnosed with scoliosis when she was 10, and in junior high, she had to wear a full torso brace, which she wore for four years. In fact, number three, at the age of 17, a modeling agent noticed her coming out of a concert and signed her to her first modeling contract. I'm going to go three is the lie, and I think that's Ava Mendes. Nice. I'm going to go number one, and I'm going to say that's that was uh, Rick Yoon playing Johnny Tran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave it to you and uh, Craig to guess the uh, the actor, but I also believe in number one is lie. Yeah, I think it's number one. It's clearly Ja Rule that's featured in the first Fast and Furious. <laughs> well, uh, so, so no one chose fact number two, and that is correct uh, because it is, in fact, a fact. Uh, she was diagnosed with scoliosis when she was 10. She wore a full torso brace for four years, and I believe we're going to cover it uh, later. But she was actually bullied so hard for that that she had to drop out of school. Damn. She was like Sweet D from uh, Dude, <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Nope. Like mm-hmm. they, it, it, when Everything I read was like yeah. they didn't really know how to handle this at that time. And so they just did the full brace where she couldn't do anything other than wear that around. And Damn. mocked enough to drop out of school. She dropped out her sophomore year of high school. Um, and then it was between fact number one and fact number three. Uh, the one that is in, in fact true is fact number three. At the age of 17, a modeling agent noticed her coming out of a Rolling Stones concert and offered her a modeling contract. Nice. She actually spent the next decade as one of the most recognizable and successful supermodels. So fuck off to all those people who made fun of her back brace. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Redemption arc. Right, exactly. And fact number one uh, is, in fact, not true. Uh, that is a Paul Walker fact. Paul Walker, you might know him as the star of Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven, and Varsity Blues. <laughs> Big ups, Brian O'Connor. That's funny. One, one's a star quarterback. All right, thanks, James. Yep. Case. Snapshot and box office history. Tell us a little bit. You know, most of her movies are pretty modestly budgeted. Um, you know, I put on my notes that most of her films are quote unquote small budget. She only had one movie that was over a hundred million dollars, and only four movies that were over fifty million. You know, with eighteen movies on my list, and only five of them are over fifty million dollars compared to the other actors and actresses we've had. You know, those are pretty pretty small. Um, her biggest box office success, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anybody, that's Lethal Weapon 3. The movie earned $322 million against a $35 million budget. Damn. Eight times the return on investment. As I was watching that movie, you guys, it, it made me think of this. It's kind of the end of the era of like live action action movies before a lot of CGI took over. And, and that really jumped out to me. And when you're looking at that movie, I mean, to bring in... You know, bringing $322 million now would be great, but you'd, you'd have a $250 million budget because of all the CGI's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's pretty impressive for that movie. I'll let you guys guess, and I'm sure somebody's going to get it. Who knows what the biggest bomb was? Bullwinkle. Yeah, I would say that too. Yeah. Without a doubt. It had a $76 million budget and ended up losing $41 million. Oh, my God. I mean, that's just a it, – it's a combination of – I think they were using some technology that – that was probably expensive and quite, not quite well developed, and then uh, on top of that, the cast on that had to have just yeah crushed. Had to have crushed the budget. I'm sure De Niro wanted like ten million for that movie, probably. The overall kind of deal for her budget, though, you know, only five of the eighteen movies I looked at lost money. You know, the rest hovered around being modestly profitable. Looking at her comparing to the others on some some data, you know, she does not measure well against the other actors and actresses in our list. A couple of weeks ago with Mahershala Ali, we had somebody that was very high in both of them. Here's here's the more common occurrence for us. She is 18th, 48.8%, 18th for critic, 52.9, 19th for fans against the other actors in our list. So she uh, does not compare to them well when it comes to the critic and uh, audience reviews well spoiler alert i think everyone who just said that is stupid so you'll know where i'm going with my reviews (laughs) thanks guys james set this up nicely um her first official film and tv work came in 1987 so before 1987 talking about somebody who's had a 30 plus year career we mentioned she dropped out of high school in 1970 she was discovered by a modeling agency in 72 she was on the cover of Vogue in 1975. She had uh, nine total covers in her modeling career. So talk about just a revenge tour with all the people who bullied her in high school. She went straight to the top. Absolutely. When it came to modeling. It's funny. If you look on YouTube, if you're listening, type in Renee Russo commercials, and you will find all of her old beauty commercials littered all over yeah. YouTube. It's fascinating. Wow. 30, 40 second spots. I mean... Obviously, it's just short line read. Um, and that's where she got a lot of her start, and that's where she got a lot of her notoriety. Mm-hmm. Her request started to dwindle by the time she hit 30, so 1984, um, which is natural for a lot of models their age, right? You hit 30, and then you know there's always someone younger in the game who's coming up. And then that's when she uh, got into theology, became a born-again Christian, 
and also started taking acting lessons from Alan Rich. And that led her to a career in film and TV. Before we talk about her film and TV work, I think it's important to note, I know Rigby, you mentioned sometimes with different actors we cover, you know, we, we, you say, although we're not, we're not a TV podcast or strictly a film podcast, she's really the first actor we've covered where of her, I think, 29 credits, she's only done one TV show. And it was her first work on the show Sable between 87 and 88. Everything after that from 88 to today is all movies, which is pretty impressive when you think about it, that she hasn't done any other TV work over that time. I saw an interview where they asked her, you know, like, are you interested in getting back into TV work? And she said, oh, God, no. The schedules are too grueling, and I've never related harder to someone being like, I'd rather not work at all than have a consistent job. Like, no, Mm -hmm. no, thank you. She seems pretty content and just sticking in the film world. Yep. And as we dig into her career, you'll see there's some ups and downs, and she took some time off. It's an interesting decade-by-decade comparison. Uh, But before we even get to all of that, she was in Meanwhile in Santa Monica in 1988, and then her first major feature film role was in 1989's Major League, and Rigby has got this one. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? First one. <laughs> Been looking forward to this. It's a big one. Week. Talk about a great movie to make your, your big debut, because this, uh, this is one of my favorites. But um, if you haven't seen the movie, the basic plot is a baseball comedy. It's, the teams are real, but the players are not. It has like the Yankees, the Indians, the Tigers, so that's a cool aspect of it. But the basic plot is the Cleveland Indians um, are taken over by – a new owner who wants to move the team out of Cleveland into Miami. And she finds out a way to do that in that the way that if they don't sell enough games out and if they have a bad enough record, then the city will let them move to Miami. So she has this idea where she puts together this awful team full of like misfits, washouts, washed out. That's a perfect, perfect word for it. Um, And in that washed out, those colorful characters as a journeyman catcher played by Tom Berenger, a recently paroled relief pitcher played by Charlie Sheen, (laughs) <laughs> and a center fielder who can, quote, hit like Mays and run like Hayes. And that's uh, played by Wesley Snipes. As you can guess, they start out shitty. And even the groundskeeper says they're shitty. Even the, uh, the Asian groundskeeper who uh, has the subtitle says that they're shitty. They turn their, their season around. They're in the heart of the pennant chase against the Yankees. And really, the interesting thing about this movie is the only really subplot of the movie is... Uh, features Renee Russo and she plays the love interest of Tom Berenger, who, like I said, plays the journeyman catcher, uh, Jake Taylor, other than the scenes that show Jake trying to win back Renee Russo, who's now engaged to uh, a different man. I should say they were once engaged. They broke it off because I don't think he could commit. And now he's trying to get her back while he's in the midst of the pennant race. And that is really the only subplot of the movie which I, I, I find is interesting because you, I think you see a lot of these times in these sports comedies, they kind of have these, these scenes that aren't really related to the main plot, but major league does a good job with that. Mm-hmm. But Renee Russo, she's, she's gorgeous in the movie. She's uh, very charming. Uh, she's kind of shy because Jake Taylor's kind of aggressive and trying to get her back. And she's sort of hesitant to take him back because she knows that they have a, a bad history basically. The takeaway from the movie, it is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Not only is it my favorite, one of my favorite sports comedies, it's my one of my favorite comedies ever. It's my second favorite baseball movie also, Behind Field of Dreams. We had an interesting talk this week about 
how realistic it is. And I think it's one of the more realistic baseball movies. Kyle, you're going to disagree, which I, I can't wait to talk about. I'm sure you've all have seen the movie. If you haven't, please, it's really easy to go find somewhere. Watch it. It's hilarious. Aside from maybe the the creepy antics of Jake Taylor trying to win her back, I think it's aged pretty well. I think the jokes still hold up. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies that whenever it's on, even if it's on like TBS and it's edited, I still watch it because it's absolutely hilarious. I, I also love Bull Durham, and I know they, people compare it a lot to this, but I prefer Major League over Bull Durham simply because I think it's funnier and I think the baseball stuff's more realistic. And Bull Durham has a lot of those subplot scenes that lose me where Major League doesn't. If I could sum it up, it's a perfect movie to make for Rene Russo to make her debut because it's a classic and it's still talked about as not only one of the best sports movies, but one of the best comedies, I think, that's in the last you know 30 to 40 years. That's my review of Major League. Without getting too much into it, let's open up the discussion to everyone else. There are a million great one-liners in this movie that I still reference when my team is getting the shit kicked out of them like <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in rewatching it, I forgot how funny the line is where the guy hits a no-doubter home run and the fans in the stands are like, nah, it's too high. That uh, <laughs> is my Dude, favorite that, thing to that say. That line is so fucking yeah. funny. The guy, like, after just crushed to the moon, he was like, too high? Too it's like, high. you know what I mean? Like, like it was too high. <laughs> and then he goes, who gives a high? shit? It's gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit? It's gone. So, so I always say, good. so I, I'm, on, I'm in the line of, of saying the quote where uh, in the beginning of the movie when the rosters are released – and like the, the guys, the construction workers are looking through the roster in the newspaper, and they're, it's a bunch of guys who they don't recognize. And the guy goes, "Who are these fucking guys?" I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever somebody, a team I root for, somebody drafts somebody that's like unheard of, I always say, "Who are these fucking guys?" <laughs> the other line that gets quoted all the time is where someone throws like a wild pitch when I'm watching a game. I think it's just a given. Someone says like, "Just a bit outside." <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Like, hits the backstop going 95. Pretty standard. We're going to talk about the second one. The second one is so disappointing because the first one is so funny. And the second one was such a letdown. I love Wesley Snipes in this movie as well. Just one more quote that always makes me laugh is when he wakes up outside of spring training. Because he, he wasn't invited to spring training. He actually ambushed it or he crashed it. When he's discovered that he, that he crashed it, the security guards take him out. And he wakes up during like in the middle of drills. And he goes, shit, I've been caught already. That's one of my favorite <laughs> lines, too. What I really wanted to talk about, which Kyle... Uh, you don't have Kyle to kinda, placate no, Kyle because he's no. on the wrong side of history. <laughs> For a little backstory here, Kyle kind of lit a, lit a firestorm in our text chain this week. He mentioned that Major League is, is not one of the more realistic baseball movies. So, Kyle, I want to open that up to you because I think that's an interesting discussion. You know, I don't want to rain too much on you guys' parade. I didn't watch this when I was a kid, and I think it affected my viewing Yeah, because I didn't watch it from a nostalgia standpoint, right? I watched it as a 31-year-old who hadn't seen it in, in full. I didn't come in with the uh, like attachment factor to it that maybe other people have when they've mm-hmm. seen it. There are some good lines, like the whole just a bit outside. I say that every, pretty much every baseball game I've ever played. Right. <laughs> always somebody says that shit. I think I was let down because I didn't really laugh at any of the Bob Euchre lines. I felt like a lot of the, the jokes dropped short. Ooh. The whole Behringer stalking, like he doesn't just stalk her once, he stalks her twice. Right. And that, I'm like, dude, like I get it. Aggressive is the word you used. Yeah, I'd say it was aggressive, just a, slightly. I think that's the only part of the movie that truly hasn't yeah. really aged well. Yeah, in the late 80s, that was called chivalry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's like looking at a different... And, 
I love Charlie Sheen. I think he's the best character from like the the baseball side. But I just struggle with the Willie Mays Hayes character and the fact that he sneaks on and can't hit a ball out of the uh, out of the infield and all of a sudden it's, if they would have just not said 291 at the end I probably would have been fine but when they're like yeah he started in center he's the leadoff hitter and he hit 291 this season I was like all right let's chill for a second <laughs> Kyle I guarantee if you asked a million people who've watched that movie a ton of times what he's batting at the end of the movie you're the only <laughs> fucking person who yeah, can say I that know. Yeah, I know no one cares the most unrealistic thing about this movie is the fact that Cleveland is good at baseball. And so like that, that's that alone. I mean, it's a movie. I mean, you, you enjoy it. You suspend, you suspend disbelief and, mm-hmm. and you enjoy the movie. I mean, the movie's yeah. great. It's hilarious. Yeah. And you get exactly, I, I watch it every single year before baseball starts. So. I think it's funny. Cause we talk about the realism part of it. The director of the movie, he lived in LA at the time and he, he actually reached out to Tommy Lasorda and got in touch with him about, advising the movie and Lasorda said, Hey, I'm the, I'm the manager. I can't do this. But what he did was he put a former LA Dodger in charge of basically being the advisor of like the baseball scenes. And he took, he took their actors out for, I think it was like three or four weeks before they started filming just to like play catch and like see who threw the ball well and caught the ball well and actually could swing a bat. Granted the stat stuff, you know, that's another conversation, but to make, to have like that feel that it was, realistic i think they would put it in the work for that yeah dude and i hate the indians so that probably plays a role in it <laughs> yeah. as well i'm like fuck the indians without willie mays hayes hitting 291 you've got billy hamilton and he, <laughs> he just got released it's funny kyle you said you wouldn't hit on the bob Uecker stuff i'm just thinking of him in my head and i'm laughing so i wish i wish yeah. you could have but i know um, i wish i think people had hyped it up so much that the bob Euchre mm-hmm. role and i would listen i was like Ugh. I just, I just want to know, like, what kind of childhood did you have where you didn't? Uh, You're a baseball person. (laughs) I know. I apparently watched every other baseball movie except for Major League. All right. Last, last line I'll say. I love when he's looking for his notes after the game after they lose, and he goes, "Christ, I can't find them. The hell with them." (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So funny, man. It's it's fantastic. This was this of all the reviews that I've done. This was this was my favorite because it's one of my favorite movies. So, all right. Thanks, Riggs. All right, so 90 to 93, um, we're going to eventually run into her highest critic score. Uh, but before that, she's in a she's in a couple little flicks there. First, she's in Mr. Destiny as Cindy Joe in 1990. It's a cool it's a cool little movie with a cool premise. It's really campy, but um, if you if you haven't seen it, check out Mr. Destiny. Well, maybe we'll cover a Belushi one day. Um, 91, she's in One Good Cop, played a character named Rita Lewis, and then in 92, she was in Free Jack. Put a character named Julie. Um, what I'll note here is uh, she, it was directed by Dan Gilroy, who uh, she met on set and has been married to him pretty much ever since. And we'll touch on she's done a couple other projects with Gilroy as the director as well. So, and then '92, we uh, we run into uh, what Case referenced as her biggest box office success, and that was the third edition of Lethal Weapon as Lorna Cole. This was kind of the first time that she took that really strong female role and uh you know i think that's what made that movie really enjoyable and as successful as it was because you know matched up with with uh mel gibson and uh danny glover and then throw in joe pesci and so for her to be able to 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 be in that movie and share that space with those guys and have a pretty good impact i mean let's be honest it's still a uh, mel gibson and danny glover film Mm -hmm. but to be able to share that share that spotlight with those guys and do it in a really um, 
in a way that we have not seen her yet up until this point. It was it was pretty enjoyable. She's a badass in the movie, man. Yeah. Yeah. That scene where Mel Gibson's like not nah, chill and she like fights five dudes. You're like, all right, she's entered the the action space. Mm-hmm. I like Lethal Weapon three and four. How they they kind of went a little bit away from the dark. Mel Gibson's clearly doing like a ton mm-hmm. of coke side of it and went more towards like, hey, super action packed and kind funny of too. campy and funny. Yeah, it was like yep. it was more of like a comedy action, which yeah, which I, I agree. I found really enjoyable. I love the first one. Because Mel Gibson is so good in it, and he's so creepy. But they couldn't do that with four movies, so I'm glad they. No, I'm glad they no, went. He was high wired that whole time. Right. I'm glad they got away from the suicidal coke addict and went more of the buddy buddy cop movie that uh-huh. that you want in a in an action movie like that. Here's a question for you guys: Do you think Lethal Weapons three and four set the stage for movies like Rush Hour later? Definitely. 100%. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think actually, I think Lethal Weapon four came out the same year that Rush Hour did, Dead. but. Yeah, I think it, I think they both came out in '98. You definitely see because Jet Li was like, I mean, Jet Li was like the ultimate badass in *Lethal Weapon 4*. It's it's fair to say that could have been a, a opening or like a intro to the Rush Hour for sure. *Lethal Weapon 4* was definitely just it was a, a cash grab, right? It yeah, was, it was six, six, six years later, and they're like, yeah, we can go ahead and squeeze some more money out of this. And right. it wasn't bad though. <laughs> they squeeze they squeezed another two eighty five out of out of it. <laughs> yeah. It was enjoyable. Like Pesci's got a bunch of good one-liners. Chris Rock's funny as hell. Like Jet Li's doing fight moves we haven't seen before. It was still an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it was just like how many ways can we throw out like Asian stereotypes? <laughs> They'll before, find a way. Before you, yeah, before you listen to Chris Tucker do it for I was going to say before seven you hours straight. So that huge successful Lethal Weapon franchise led into her role. In, in the Line of Fire, 1993, in case that's this one. In the Line of Fire is a uh, 1993 political action thriller starring Clint Eastwood, who you may recognize from Warren's impression a few minutes ago. <laughs> uh, anyways, so it's starring uh, Clint Eastwood, John Malkovich, and Rene Russo. Those, those are the top three built in this movie. It's got some pretty good supporting uh, as well. This movie is directed by Wolfgang Peterson, and this is the first of his movies. Listen to the next five movies, okay? Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, Troy, Poseidon, and to follow up in the line of fire, as you guys mentioned, Outbreak. And so it's a pretty, that's a pretty damn good list of movies um, to follow up. That's a fucking hot shit. Yeah. The only one I don't think I said love is Poseidon. The rest of them were really good. Anyways, the film is about a guy, Nick, he nicknames himself Booth, uh, played by John Malkovich, who is trying to assassinate the president. He draws Frank Corrigan into a game of cat and mouse in the process of trying to, you know, in, in his attempt to assassinate the president. He, he's a great villain, and this is one of the reasons why he takes great pleasure in tormenting Eastwood about the greatest failure in U.S. Secret Service history, which is the assassination of JFK in Dallas which Eastwood was part of the service duty. And this leads to Horrigan or, you know, Clint Eastwood's character. It leads to his life falling apart. He becomes a problem drinker and he loses his family. The movie focuses on this game of cat and mouse through several different scenes and different venues. If you're looking for the quintessential Eastwood character, this is it, right? He does a great job uh, of playing a guy that's down on his luck um, who's tough enough to get through it without anybody's help, 
and, and he acts like he's got his act together. As part of this bravado, he and Lily Reigns, who is Renee Russo's character, that's how they cross paths because the unit that he's with, they want to bring they want to bring Reigns in, right? They want to bring her in. And Russo plays a uh, tough, take no shit FBI agent who tackles being a female agent directly. And there's some really fun and and very very well done scenes contextually to kind of present her as an equal to uh, Eastwood as an FBI agent, where he's basically attacking female agents, and then she's turning it around and attacking he, him because he's old, and it kind of taking him down a peg. And it's done really well, and it, it is one of the fun parts of the movie. The only part I didn't like about this movie is through that banter and them challenging each other, they somehow develop a romantic relationship, and, and that is really the only part I don't like about this movie. And, and I think their relationship is partially based on the fact that the two of them are, are some of the few people in the world that know how demanding a Secret Service job is. You know, Eastwood delivers the performance you're accustomed to in this role through, you know, a tough male lead who attracts all the women and bests the villain in the end. Melkovich delivers on, on this role big time. He's uh-huh. incredible as, as a villain. I, mean, I just can't think of many villains that are better than him in this movie. Even though he's clearly a villain and somebody that, that we as the audience are against, we're still drawn and, and intrigued by his character. Yep. He's playing chess and Eastwood's playing checkers. And so Eastwood is always a step behind. And one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, but is the scene where Eastwood's chasing him through the park and he sees Malkovich on the opposite corner. And he's like just standing there staring at him like he looks like Chris Elliott from... <laughs> From yeah, scary movie movie too. Too. <laughs> he's kind of smiling and he's kind of dancing and, and he's like you feel like he's taunting eastwood right it's really i don't think it's meant to be funny i think it's supposed to be creepy but but it, he does a great job you know this this earned him a nomination for best supporting actor for uh his his role in um in the line of fire and it landed him on almost everybody's you know top villains list of all time Russo plays great, tough female role. Mm-hmm. It's essentially what she did in Lethal Weapon 3, if we're being honest. It doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I, the movie's about Eastwood and Melkovich and, and their cat and mouse game. And, and honestly, Russo, Russo's character wasn't asked to do a whole lot, aside from be that tough female counterpart to Eastwood and eventually turn into a love interest. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think she was good in it. This is one of my favorite movies from the 90s. This is up there with The Fugitive and Speed for like the best action movie in the 90s, in my opinion. Clint Eastwood is great. Rene Russo is great, but Malkovich makes the movie. Um, he's so yeah. damn creepy in it. It's cool because it, it connects real history with fictional, you know, fictional plot lines, which is cool. Yep. Sounds like and you're talking about national treasure. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Highest critic score beloved by fans folks who watched it and uh again renee russo early on in her career just really hitting with some major roles uh coming out the gate mm-hmm. so between 94 and 95 she is in major league two the aforementioned um downer of a sequel i haven't seen major league uh, return to the minors but i can't imagine that one's good either um she's not in that but uh there were others but she makes a cameo in that just a few lines from my understanding and then she is in Outbreak in 95 is Robbie Keough, which if you haven't seen it and you're listening and you go watch it, prepare thyself. It is uh, eerily similar to what's going on in our world today. Yeah. I was blown. So like the moment we found out we were doing, uh, we were covering Ray Russo. I was like, I want to go see Outbreak. That's a movie I grew up 
loving. Like it's so much nineties nostalgia. Can't wait. Say maybe 20 minutes in, I was like, holy shit, I am triggered. Like this is (laughs) absolutely brutal because it was such an accurate depiction of what is currently going on today. The only thing I think they got wrong was Dustin Hoffman is a way more athletic and action-packed version of Dr. Uh, Fauci. Fauci. (laughs) (laughs) I have no problem with the acting in this movie. It kind of takes a weird turn. The first hour of the movie is great because it is sort of like a paranoia, political movie that you think about viruses or like a virus outbreak or a pandemic like this, like we're currently going through. But then it kind of takes a weird turn with like, helicopters and missiles and shit i don't know i it kind of lost me in the last half hour so that's that's all dude absolutely when when they steal the helicopter it went from (laughs) like a serious movie to a comedy to a michael bay movie cuba gooding jr is like hey where's your guy he's taking a piss go check on him but the quote and this was like there was some gross shit in the movie like people with eyes pop you know eyes bleeding and all that stuff there was actually a quote that was the most disgusting part of the movie they are down in like San Francisco at the shipping like company mm-hmm. and they walk in and this lady and they're like, we need these shipping records and all this stuff. And this lady goes, I got a, <laughs> I, I got down. a friend. I got a friend in the coast guard. I can make a call. <laughs> right. Dustin Hoffman goes, how close a friend? And she goes closer than his wife would like. Would like. <laughs> and then end, end of scene. I, I, it's just I like, texted you Oh my that. God. <laughs> Almost oh, man. barfed. Epic line reading. Epic line reading on her part. I thought the coolest part of the movie was the was the sneeze at the movie theater part. When that happened, I was like, oh shit, like that's exactly what if that happened today, that's exactly how people would react, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that the parts that you guys didn't like are the only parts that we aren't currently living every day since March. people aren't stealing helicopters this is absurd (laughs) there needs to be more existential dread and no end in sight yeah i mean they haven't they haven't blown up a city yet i mean just think they could have saved us all if they just blew up a city i'm not gonna gonna insert a city there (laughs) the rock will save us if that happens so we're good hopefully i would just say if you're looking for a better movie about a pandemic watch contagion because that's better i think Watch the yeah. the, hap- the happening with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, the happening's like one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Ab- absolutely, it's but so bad. people people should go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know the other thing about this movie being relevant in March of 2020, you guys, this movie climbed up to number 25 on the IMDb movie meter. In February of 2020, it was number 2,537. Wow. Awesome. Relevance. I mean, it just spiked. Readily available on Hulu and uh, eerily familiar to the world we're living in. And the one thing none of you mentioned, she's pretty good in her role. No complaints on my end. Absolutely does a good job. I thought she was great. Hey, and and Kyle, to your your point a couple movies ago, you know, she's... She's in there doing a pretty damn good job with another with a ton of big name actors yep. and actresses. Yep. So oh yeah. yeah. I mean she's, she's killing it. She's acting alongside the biggest names in Hollywood at this point in her career. And that leads us to ninety-five. We're gonna hit a movie that we've discussed um, through a television format before when on the O'Dowd episode. And that uh, if I'm not mistaken, O'Dowd was in a show that was an adaptation of this movie, Get Shorty. And James is going to mm-hmm. talk about it. So I had never seen this movie before, but I'd heard of it, obviously, not only just through our podcast, <clears throat> but it was pretty popular when it first came out. 
Um, I just think I was too young at the time for something that was kind of looked at as like highbrow humor for my family to actually allow me to watch this. So I had never actually gotten around to watching it. Get Shorty is based on a novel and it's kind of like a comedic gangster satire movie. Um, the story follows a Miami mobster who's played by John Travolta, who goes to L.A. to collect outstanding debts and in the process becomes a movie producer. The cast is absurd. It's a Travolta in the lead role, Gene Hackman, Rene Russo, our girl, Dennis Farina, Danny DeVito, Delroy Lindo, and the king, late great himself, James Gandolfini, mm-hmm. are all in this cast. Amazing cast. The moment the movie started, I couldn't really get past like Travolta's fake pseudo Italian accent, but he's so damn charming and good looking that I allowed it. And I will gladly admit, I kind of forgot that Travolta in his prime was like a goddamn snack. Like the mm-hmm. moment he came on the screen, I was like, dude, I forgot you were like the man back in the day. I'm too used to like the craziness that's going on in his life now. So that I allowed his crappy accent because he is so charming. Russo plays a B actress who is also like Travolta's love interest. I'd say that her, uh, Gene Hackman and Delroy Lindo probably give the best performances of the cast. But if I'm being honest, there really isn't any depth to their characters. This movie is the largest critic gap. And so one of the reasons why I think the critics love this and the audience thought it was merely average, uh, the critics gave it an 88 and audiences are uh, a little below 70 is that the movie itself is very meta and it uses every opportunity to mock Hollywood actors Mm -hmm. and producers. And while those jokes and gags probably kill with critics and other actors, they're like a little lost on me. The plot is a little cluttered and hard to follow. And the majority of the characters are like super undeveloped and seem to just pop in and out without like much explanation. I think the claims that it's hilarious is maybe taking it a bit too far because there wasn't really too many laugh out loud moments. There was a couple I thought were pretty hysterical, but other than that, it was just like a couple good jokes and one liners, but it's entertaining and stylish and slick and a unique story that kind of makes it like an easy and lighthearted watch. Um, so I think I'd lean more towards the audience score with the, uh, the common Munson on this and give it like a, <laughs> maybe a high 60s, low 70s score as opposed to almost a 90 like the critics did. That was a great review. <laughs> that was actually a really good review. It's Shorty's. I, I, I agree with James. I think it's, I think it's overrated. Um, it's good. I, I love gangster movies, especially, especially ones that sort of uh, take shots at Hollywood. I, I, I don't know how how it's almost a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's overdoing it a bit, as James said. I think it's because all the jokes are like mocking Hollywood itself. It's, right. ho- yeah. it's Hollywood material, man. Yeah, I think yeah. you nailed that, James. That's a good point. So before we run into largest audience gap in 2005, we've got nine years of film work that we're going to cover with her. We're going to cover 96 to 2005, so a big gap of, uh, of her work there. And so, number one, 96, we've mentioned a few times, but she played Dr. Molly Griswold in Tin Cup alongside Kevin Costner. This might be, in, in my opinion, like probably some of her best acting. Mm-hmm. I think she does a really, really good job of, she has like every range uh, of emotion. Initially, she's very like kind of standoffish to Kevin Costner. And the whole the whole movie it's just it's a golf movie and it's like the Bull Durham of golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the name even comes from Kevin Costner's character playing baseball. It's still a very entertaining movie, um, but the, she does a really good job. She's 
like his his love interest and she's dating Don Johnson, but she like changes because he changes. It's I think it's still a pretty damn good movie. I think the, her where why she's so good in this because I think her and Costner actually have legit chemistry in this movie as compared to in the line of fire and major league. Yeah. It seemed more forced. She just didn't correspond well with that, with the actors. I don't think in that movie as well as she did in tin cup. Um, she's great in it. She was the perfect cast for this movie. I think. Yeah. 96. She's in ransom as Kate Mullen. She just had to be the very emotional mom. Yeah. Kid gets kidnapped and Mel Gibson doesn't listen to Delroy Lindo and the FBI on how to do anything or Renee Russo, right? Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't want him to do any of the stuff he does either. I enjoyed ransom. I, I appreciated how it just went full throttle into the nineties kind of, we're going to make 12 different twists and just deal with it. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's get crazy. Like it was fun. Mm-hmm. Dramatic scenes left and right. Like, I feel like the movie ended like six different times, but it was still fun to watch. Like you said, James, that kind of goes back to why I view, like I saw this one when I was younger. And so like watching it again, it was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that. But compared to in the line of fire, I can't put myself back in that mindset. And so yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, the, the fun and like, Hey, let's, let's get crazy with it. Let's do this. And then it kind of feeds into what he did conspiracy theory, which is almost like the exact same, you know, kind of dark action movie. You know, I think that might've been within another year or two of this one. It was kind of the same. Let's get crazy with it. Let's see how yep. much shit we can do. <laughs> yeah. I was working at the theater when this came out, we would all try to doing our auditorium checks on the scene where Mel Gibson yells give me back my son (laughs) it never failed to pop in the audience like you would just see people like straighten up and kind of like startled i also love the scene in there where uh, russo loses it on gibson and just snaps yeah i thought she did great in that movie as well speaking of cinematic masterpieces 97 she played trudy in the the movie buddy a true story about a woman raising two gorillas and by two gorillas, I mean really just one in the movie, but in real life it was two gorillas, but the other gorilla's name was Massa, and that probably didn't play well, so they made it one gorilla. What the fuck? Yeah, right? Yeah, Massa. M-A-S-S-A. That was the name of the other gorilla in real life. Um, they left that one conveniently out of the script. I don't know why. No way. world-class scientist who's also either the dumbest person ever or a racist, good for them. Buddy and Massa. Those are the two uh, gorillas. Well, I was going to suggest maybe there's there's a different meaning to that in Africa or wherever she got the gorillas from, but if one of them's named Buddy, that certainly yeah. shoots a hole in that, uh, in <laughs> in that, that theory. theory. <laughs> it's Spike. This is the uh, Jim Henson reference I made earlier in that this was the first movie produced by the Jim Henson production company that shut down two years later. So... Out of the out of the gate, strong. Not the best choice. Ninety eight. We see her uh, reappearance in Lethal Weapon four, as we mentioned earlier in the ninety nine. Probably one of her more successful movies in roles uh, as Catherine mm-hmm. Manning in the Thomas Crown Affair, which was just a lovely movie remake of a a, a movie from the sixties, and I, th- I thought it was pretty delightful. Pierce Brosnan and Renee have pretty good chemistry. I agree. It's it's Pierce Brosnan at like his most Pierce Brosnan-y where he's just absolutely the hottest, smartest, richest, oh yeah, most charming man on earth. They have such good chemistry where in this she's like as sultry and as smart as she's ever been, where it's like instead of being yeah. like 
the side gal pal, she's like, no, nah, I'm a little quirky too. And I'm also hot just like you. And, you know, you're my equal here. And the movie holds up. It's still like super entertaining to watch. Yep. Rigby, you've seen the original, right? Uh, yeah. So I just, I want to ask because I haven't seen the original, but I did watch this one. I really, really liked Renee's character in like the first 30 minutes mm-hmm. because she's like this badass. She's like, you know, all, you know, she's there to track down who stole this painting because that's mm-hmm. her job. And then all of a sudden she's just <laughs> smitten. But like, I get it because that's the whole thing. It's like Pierce Brosnan. He's this, yeah. he's this, you know, very, very charming guy and very seductive and all this stuff. But she keeps finding these reasons to just like turn away. And it's like, she goes from being this completely independent person. Her whole persona falls apart. Yeah, total yeah. leech. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was because that was how Faye Dunaway's original character was because in the 60s, they really like to do that with females. They like to put them as this like damsel in distress who can't think without a man. And I wasn't sure if they, because I, I think from what I, I read, they did almost everything, like almost shot for shot in a lot of scenes. That is exactly how it goes in the first one. The one thing that jumped out to me was uh, Faye Dunaway plays his therapist. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Yep. And halfway through I was like that's like the shittiest therapist I've ever seen she's just fucking shitting on him the whole time and like I know she's supposed to do like the exposition where it's she's telling the audience like oh he found his equal and this is what he's attracted to and then like near the end she's just laughing at him she's like you think you're gonna be happy (laughs) you'll never be happy this this therapist sucks so from the Thomas Crown Affair in 99 very successful project Great for her career. Uh, then 2000. So the 90s end. 90s were great for her. Yeah. 2000s hit. And, oh, man, we go in a different direction with the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. She plays Natasha. And we had mentioned how much money this movie lost. I, I believe this role was supposed to be played by Meryl Streep. Oh, yikes. I think she backed out of it. They went after Renee Russo. She doesn't have a ton of lines. But she did a lot of physical, like physical not comedy but like emotions and body language stuff a lot of nonverbals. yeah rocking bullwinkle just sucks i think that's what it comes down to <laughs> it's it's a really shitty thing to reboot like i yeah. know they're do- i know they're redoing space jam 2 but i know if you were to ask kids in the past 20 years who like bugs bunny is very few of them know who he is. They yeah, weren't they raised on yeah. Looney Tunes. And I guarantee nobody around the year 2000 was raised on Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, it was canceled in the 60s. Yes, I think it said 65. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was a sequel, but let's just be thankful there wasn't. Russo had a pretty funny quote about this movie and where she was being interviewed. Oh, what's it like doing a comedy? Because you're normally not doing a full-blown comedy. And she's like, I usually play someone who's like really smart, feisty, and witty. And it was fun to play Natasha because she's just dumb. well i think it's gonna be a little foreshadowing before we get to 05 but the lackluster appreciation for this film probably led to uh the break she eventually takes as an actor yeah as she got experimental and i don't think it worked out quite well but next 2002 she's in showtime as a character named chase yeah this is alongside eddie murphy and uh and de niro again it's a pretty typical late 90s, early 2000s action movie. I think they were trying to cash in on the uh, reality TV show. They had cameras following Eddie Murphy's character and, and uh, Robert De Niro's character the whole time. And she's kind of like the, the TV producer. She does a good job. The movie, the movies, it's mildly entertaining. One of the highlights of that particular movie, 
was the cameraman is Judah Freelander. <laughs> and he's hilarious. Love Judah. He's a stand-up comedian, right? Yeah. He was in uh, 30, with the hat 30 Rock. With glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. He's yep. in Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He's, he talks he's real great. awkward. Like, yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. He's great. He's worth he's worth watching for sure. Also, O2, she's in a movie called Big Trouble. It's a character named Anna. I caught this. I mean, the cast is really cool in there. Uh James, mm-hmm. for your knowledge, there's a very, very young Ben Foster. I think it was his I, second dude, movie. I just saw that and I was now I'm upset I didn't watch this. I bet he stole the show. He's not bad. Uh him and Stan <laughs> of course. Stanley Tucci is in it. He plays He's probably the best part of the movie, uh, but you got Tim Allen, DJ Qualls, Omar Epps, Zoe Deschanel, Johnny Knoxville, Tom Sizemore, Janine Garofalo. It's like accidental love. It's just like this mediocre movie with this collection of a ton of like decent actors. Um, the best way I describe it, the last line of the movie is a goat saying arugula, arugula. It's fucking stupid. It's a really dumb movie. <laughs> if it gives you any indication of what you would experience watching Big Trouble, it's available on YouTube. If you go to her IMDb page, her profile picture is from this movie. That's the only connection I made. I was like, oh, yeah, that short, like, blonde hair look she has going on. Um, and then finally, 2005, she's in Two for the Money as a character named Tony, which is uh, another project with Dan Gilroy, her husband. She actually executive produced the movie, too, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. She plays Al Pacino's wife, and Al Pacino is like this huge uh, sports gambler. He's like well known around the country. And he takes Matthew McConaughey under his wing and. Renee Russo is good because she's she she does play like the the sexy wife of the 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 boss in the movie basically and her and McConaughey have a really good chemistry you're you're kind of left wondering are they going to sleep together are they going to is this going to end uh, disastrously but yeah she's good in it the movie itself is so awful that it's good and that brings us to our largest audience gap um, it's a movie called Yours Mine and Ours and it's also a remake similar to the Thomas Crown Affair let's just say not. Uh, nearly as good as the Thomas Crown Affair. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tackle this one. Most of the time when we get a largest audience gap, the audience scores are kind of high. Uh, maybe it's like a 80-50 or something like that. This is not that. Um, we're talking a 51 from the audiences and a 6 from the critics. Just an absolute bomb on a critic side. It's directed by Raja Goznell. I don't know if you guys know that name, but uh, he did Never Been Kissed, Big Mama's House all the Scooby-Doo live-action movies. Mm. Um, Home Alone 3. You're saying those three. with a negative tone? Like, they don't have, <laughs> like, major impact? House. Yeah, Big Mama's House was fun when I was a kid. I'm sure if I watch it now, I'd be like, ooh. He did Home Alone 3, which, you know, people hate. And then uh, Show Dogs, which we've talked about previously on the oh. uh, Leon yeah. episode. Yeah, <laughs> Pedophilia um, joke thrown in there. So, so there's probably a reason you haven't heard about Raja at this point in time. But it's a remake of a film with uh, Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball. Basic concept, a widowed Coast Guard admiral played by Dennis Quaid and a widowed handbag designer fall in love. And that handbag designer is played by Rene Russo. And they marry immediately, despite the lack of any approval from their 18 combined kids. Oof. Uh, Quaid's got eight. Russo's got 10. Damn. Lucille Ball was, a, I believe, a nurse in the original, so I think there's a slight departure um, from a plot standpoint. Um, it is a huge ripoff of movies like Cheaper by the Dozen, and they do it much worse than Cheaper by the Dozen. I mean, the basic concept to bring all these kids together that don't necessarily like each other, and then they set, you know, plot to sabotage their parents so they can all not be together. And then guess what? Halfway through the movie they start to like each other and they feel bad about trying to ruin their parents' relationship. That's 
that's the gist of the movie. Warren, I know you were not a fan of this one. Nickelodeon, they they suck ass at movies. They really do. <laughs> yeah, and it they they get a bunch of like the kids who end up being like stars, like Drake guys Bell. From, yeah, Josh and Drake. Yep. And uh, the, the, it, it's the, just the fact that this guy's kids call him Admiral. <laughs> like one, Sir, and Admiral. I know, I know. This is like. <laughs> I'm I'm all for like support. I support the troops. <laughs> he's in the co- he's in the Coast Guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they made this today, they'd probably put him in Space Force. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, like, like, space, space Admiral. All, like all, all the shit. tension in the movie comes from the fact he li- runs likes to run a tight ship and has a board of chores. And Renee is very free and relaxed and freak expression. And so the kids. You know, there it's like the identical kids from the other side of the family, the cheerleader versus the girl who likes music, rooming together, they hate each other, blah blah blah, and they bond over protecting against scummy mm-hmm. guys. And it's just like you just roll your eyes. There are a few funny moments. And I don't know if you remember this part, Warren, but it's when the one girl who's played by Miranda Cosgrove, she was um like the the manager in School of Rock from the little kid side. Mm-hmm. And she she's playing the saxophone really really poorly to wake everybody up for like Quaid's morning drill, and the kid wakes up, walks out, and goes, "Oh my gosh, who's killing a goat?" I I laughed when that happened. I, I had a good uh, I had a good laugh. I did that. not laugh at it. I probably rolled my eyes, but like a there's a fucking a random pig running around like Dude. the entire movie. Eats it the cell phone. Yeah, of one it, of the girls. it doesn't make sense. But like it, they try and point out the different like so half of renee russo's kids are adopted and six of them there's uh, a black kid there's a kid uh an asian Asian. kid there's two kids from the middle east and they try and hit stereotypes on each one of those kids to point out differences it's it's cringeworthy yep like they're at a soccer game and the black black kid starts (laughs) rapping and trying to pump up the crowd it's that and is it's the just, most cringy oh. uh, scene in the Oof. whole movie. Yeah. The other funny moment is uh, Linda Hunt plays like the housekeeper babysitter, and they're uh, Quaid and Russo leave to go on a date, and they're like, "Ah, you got the kids, right?" She's just like, "Yeah, I'll take care of them." Next thing you know, it pivots to her like pouring a cocktail on the couch, and she she's watching wrestling, she's watching WWE to like this <laughs> dramatic music. I laughed at that part. I was like, "All right." as the kids are just destroying the house because they're doing home remodeling and just covering each other in paint and all this bullshit. Um, Russo's like, she's fine. I mean, there's no depth to her character. They, like I said, the movie pivots quickly when it goes from, they reconnect because they went to high school together and almost got married. They Mm -hmm. reconnect and the night of they agree to get married and you're like, all right, you fucking lost me 10 minutes in this movie. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Cheaper, cheaper by the dozen is so much better. But this this movie actually made like thirty million dollars. Cool. Oh wow! I was just I mean, gonna ask. I was just gonna ask how it did at the box office because I remember it came out like was it like wasn't it like a year after Cheaper by the Dozen something like that? It was two, two years, years after. after. It's it, it stole Steve Martin's gags constantly. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the trailer for it and be like, I don't. Like that is that is such a ripoff of that movie. Like I don't know if anybody's going to see that. She didn't have any character depth because she had to share the screen with nineteen other main characters, and there's just no time to do that unless you want to make it like a Nolan film that's three hours long. 
Um, and if I have to hear her say, let's have a group hug again, I I will put an end to some. <laughs> but what was great, uh, Jerry O'Connell and David Keckner both in the movie. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> Keckner, uh, you're supposed to take him seriously as like a Coast Guard admiral type. Which yeah. is, uh, oh, wow. Oh, is yeah. Rip, his, rip Torn. In rip Torn. Yeah. Yeah. Rip Torn's fine. He's, he, he's fine. He's perfectly no fine. I have no complaints with Rip Torn. It's like walking in Irreplaceable You. No complaints there, but. Just not yeah. as good as his role in Freddy Got Fingered, right? <laughs> You're fucking dead. <laughs> so, there's some less than inspiring line readings from Russo. It's just not a great role for her to take, and that leads into kind of where we're going with her career. So she doesn't do another movie until 2011. And so you might be wondering why. Like, what? why the gap? Well, she took a five-year break from acting. She said in interviews she hit a wall. She felt depressed. She struggled with being bipolar since she was a kid. And she talked about like the moment where she actually started to take medication and how free it made her feel. So during that time when she stepped away from Hollywood, I think after some of these not-so-great projects, she worked with the Department of Water and Power in L.A. to renovate native garden spaces. She started her own business called the White Cow Dairy, which was a milk and yogurt producer in upstate New York. So she was busy. She mentioned in interviews that she's like, they asked her, what were you doing? She's like, I was watching you guys on morning shows. That's what I was doing for the past five years. Wow. Um, so she took a much needed break. Wasn't she actually working at the farm for a little bit? Yeah. She, she was getting her hands dirty and just kind of taking a step away. I guess she wanted to hang out with the pig a little bit more. Uh, that's, didn't get enough. Describing the dream. As she was spending time in L.A. and New York and doing things that were good for the world. If you're going to step away from shitty movies, those are good reasons to do it and to kind of get herself back together. And she came out of uh, semi-retirement in 2011 to work on uh, Thor as Frigga, as Thor's mom, which, you know, pretty big movie. Um, minor role in that one. She's only in a couple scenes. She's here in a, She was in Thor The Dark World after that, where she plays a much bigger role in that movie. But it put her into the Marvel Universe. She's a perfect character for it in the sense that you get the name recognition, and when she yep. pops up, you're like, boom, oh, I know Rene Russo, dude, that's perfect, jarred. and she does exactly what she needs to do. Yeah, yep. when, when I saw her, I was like, holy shit, that's Rene Russo. And the th- yeah, it had been five years, so it yeah. was like, holy shit. I hadn't seen her since I last saw yours, mine, and ours. <laughs> Which I tried <laughs> to forget about. My God. So it was good. I think that was a great return, great choice for her after her little mini retirement. Could do the two Thor movies. She dies in the second one. And that obviously. Oh, um, spoiler, bro. Yeah, sorry. I just had to ruin it seven years later. <laughs> but her, her coming back in Endgame was. Spoiler, abs- bro. Great. <laughs> yeah. Was, was, that was, that was even better than her acting in both the previous mm-hmm. two, just because yeah. how, how important it is to the story, which I'm not going to spoil. <laughs> <laughs> very important for Thor's character arc. We'll say that very, very important. Her, her oh, appearance in Endgame. Fat Thor. Fat Thor. I love the um, fat Thor storyline. I have no, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I like that the way they show a God being depressed is he's just fat. Like, that's so fucking <laughs> dude, Rig- Rigby, how many of the Marvel movies have you seen? Like three. Oh my god! Which ones? Dude. What have you He's seen? Probably, he probably saw like the. Hulk I saw the first Avengers. The <laughs> I saw the first Avengers Endgame. I saw Guardians. Like I saw the Guardians. Uh, Guardians? I have, no, I didn't watch Guardians. Peter um, Parker's uncle dies. I saw that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that yeah. Are we counting those? Are we counting? Those? <laughs> I'm just fucking. Are no, we counting, no, like, we're, not, we're not counting Raimi. I saw the first or the the newest Spider Man, the first one with um, I can't Tom even think Holland. of his name, Tom, Tom Holland, Holland. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Well, I'm. You know me. I'm. I'm not a, uh, a Marvel fan. So you're not. A, you're not a human. Yeah, I'm not a human. He's not interested in that. Uh, those roller coasters of cinema. <laughs> so, all right. So, 2014. Um, again, she's enjoying this career renaissance, and the she's in Nightcrawler with uh, Hall and again, Dan Gilroy, her husband, wrote and directed it. And this is of all the roles, this is the the role that she's gotten the most awards recognition for mm-hmm. in her career as Nina. Nightcrawler rocks. Yeah, this is an awesome movie for sure. I think um, I think we really should have this one as her top rated one. It's off by a point, but I it's agree. off it's off by a point, but it also has like a thousand more uh, reviews. Critic reviews, no. yeah. Dude, it's she's a, so good in that as like that desperate news yep. director who yep. just yeah, she's going on dates with him to try to keep her ass, keep her job. I mean, like perfect portrayal of of that yeah. role for me not seeing the thor movies this was the first time i'd seen her in a movie since two for the money and i was like really pleasantly surprised with how she did in it yeah i nightcrawler i was into the movie from the first minute and it's fucking awesome and she was great in it too the ending with him with a whole new news crew at the end i'm like fuck yeah this sealed yeah. the deal i love this movie like mm-hmm. he, this sociopath is going out there and just continuing the cycle this is awesome fake news I wish she would have gotten more premiere awards love for that role. I mean, it was a yeah. lot of critic circles, but rest in peace, Bill Paxton too. That's yeah, true. My boy, Bill Paxton <laughs> is in it. Dude, I, I can't get over how many times he says, bruh. <laughs> You're too late, bruh. Too yeah. late, bruh. I don't even think Paxton was acting. I think they're like, Bill, just be yourself and carry a camera around. Oh, he says, bruh. He doesn't even say bruh with an E. <laughs> he says, bruh. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> That's a good movie, man. I like how Renee's character like acknowledges that Joe and Hall's nuts, but is like, uh, but I have to like yeah. kind of pretend yep. that it's not driving me crazy. Like, be like, oh yeah, maybe we can go on dates. There might be a conflict of interest in play here. Just maybe. Yeah, he's um, making me money. In in note, if you're listening, this is the first of a couple collaborations between her, Jillian Hall, and Gilroy, and we'll talk about the other one here shortly. But before that, Frank and Cindy. Uh, 2015 it's a true story she plays the character cindy i haven't this is one of those roles where um it's hard to judge how well she does if you don't know the source material in this case you know i I don't know anything about the original frank and cindy she plays opposite oliver platt in this movie they play like a train wreck of parents that, that a kid essentially documents to get his uh film career up and running because they end up spending his life savings on her alcoholic um stepdad you know it's a netflix release it's decent it's better than some of the other ones we've covered Um, but it's just hard to judge her role because you just don't know her the original cindy you don't know how accurate it is in terms of portrayal but that also in 2015 she was in the intern as fiona another collaboration with de niro i love the intern it's so ridiculously cheesy but it's so good and yeah she plays the love interest in de niro in the movie yeah, once once again, just she plays an affectionate, charming, um, supporting character. Supporting character, and yep. it's good all around. And that takes us to 2017, uh, so a couple of years off, and uh, that's because she was prepping for her role in the lowest critic score of just getting started. Uh, and Warren is, I'm sure, gonna just gush about this one. And yes, tell us all about I've been it. waiting for this one. This <laughs> is my favorite review of the night. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So this movie rocks a four per a four percent. 
uh, critic uh, and a 10% audience. That is low on both accounts. and Not great, Warren. Boy, does it fucking show. <laughs> does, it, does, um, does it deliver? <laughs> so this, this movie was directed by Ron Shelton. Ron Shelton wrote and directed Bull Durham. He directed and wrote White Men Can't Jump. He wrote Blue Chips. He wrote and directed Ten Cup. Holy cow. Some good movies. Uh, he wrote a screenplay of Bad Boys 2. Uh, mm. you know, he did, he did, he's done a lot of good shit. 2017, he goes ahead, you know, opens up his laptop and just shits right on the keyboard <laughs> for this whole movie. <laughs> and the best thing about this movie, it's an hour and like 26 minutes long. Yeah, that's true. It's short. And it's got, I mean, it's got fucking... Tommy Lee. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Morgan Freeman and Joe Pantoliano yep. and J- and Jane Seymour and so the whole thing is Morgan Freeman was a defense lawyer um, and he it was in stuff with the mob and he didn't get some guys off and so he goes into witness protection and he's basically runs a like a retirement community in arizona or some shit yeah all of a sudden somebody's like trying to kill him he's like oh no someone found me and this is right after tommy lee jones shows up and he's like ruining his life because he's cock blocking him at every turn with old ladies and (laughs) uh, then then uh renee russo shows up and she works for the parent company for this retirement community and she's there doing a bunch of like reviews He's, it's just like, oh my gosh, life's so crazy for Morgan Freeman while he's doing all this shit. Then, like, his car, his golf cart blows up. He gets a, there's a snake in his golf bag and all this <laughs> shit. And it's so fucking dumb. And then, once you finally find out who's trying to kill him, you're like, well, I know it's not Tommy Lee Jones because they've shown him every single, like he's in the movie and he, he couldn't possibly do it because he's standing with him the entire time. And it can't be Rene Russo either. And so the the suspense of who it could be, you're just like, whoever it's going to be is someone who I have no idea who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So when they finally reveal who's trying to kill him, it's like that part in Role Models when... <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. yeah, so when Martin stole the story, he was like in there with the knife in his hand. Was Philip the pizza delivery boy? The pizza delivery the guy from the beginning of the movie. Oh, come on! Yeah, I love that. Oh, we are on. gonna go make s'mores with white chocolate. <laughs> that's exact. I mean, that's exactly what happens with the movie. It was this guy who shows up to like deliver a camel for a nativity scene. Yep, and that's that's who they end up chasing. Tommy Lee Jones and Morgan Freeman fight over Rene Russo, who, I mean, they're both like 20 years older than her. She's there for, <laughs> for work. And she's like, I'm only here temporarily. Like I'm not moving in. And it's, it's a fucking dumb movie and it, it just ends. And they're like, they're hanging out at this place and they're like, Oh, where's, where's, uh, what's his name? Morgan Freeman. Like he has to change his name. Cause he goes into Whitsack again. And then it shows him at like a new Florida, a new, yeah, a new facility in Florida. It, it was a fucking bomb of a movie. I mean, it, it grossed seven mil on a 22 million budget. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those movies that like, how did these people sign up for who, who was like, who, who has nudes of each one of these people? Who's got, <laughs> who's got pictures? Who's got Chris Evans, like pictures 
of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Someone's got to have them. It's like, bro, but you're old enough. Nobody signs up for these movies. You can't be like, yeah, you know what? I, I did uh, The Fugitive and I did Just Getting Started. Like, those don't go in the same. <laughs> those aren't in the same sentence. This ever. movie yeah. was written for the geriatric population. That's it. And the rest of us are just like, okay. Mm. Yeah, it it sucks. It really sucks. And it this this is a quote um from Rotten Tomatoes. One of the one of the quotes is a thoroughly unfunny misfire just getting started manages the incredible feat of wasting more than a century of combined acting experience from its three talented leads. <laughs> Woof. So, do yourself a favor. I'm gonna recommend not watching this one. I, I love I love dumb movies, but man, this one like it's not worth it. I don't think I I don't even think I chuckled once. No, it's cringy, man. Just feel bad. For, I mean, they should know better at that point. I think it's probably a favor to yeah, filmmakers. I don't, I don't, I knew, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for any of them. And that's just getting started. No, oh, I knew that was gonna be a doozy. They all probably signed on to that movie knowing they were all, all the other ones were going to do it, right? Yeah. I was just gonna, definitely in a group chat where like, do you want to do this? Yeah, we'll hang out in Vegas for like four months. It'll be fun. But who gives a shit if the movie sucks? <laughs> Maybe she just had like a, a fucking sheet where she's just checking off who are the biggest actors in Hollywood. Have I worked with them yet? And she's like, oh, Morgan and Tommy Lee. Check, check. She's worked with seemingly everybody else. That's the mm-hmm. only thing I can come up with is she's just notching her belt. I saw her in a uh, morning show interview and she said she... Uh... She didn't even see the script. Once she saw that Morgan Freeman and Tommy Lee Jones, she said she would do it. I wonder if she regretted that decision at any point. <laughs> that has to happen so many times. Yeah. They're just like, hey, guess what? We got these big guys. They've already signed on, and they tell that to everybody. It's like, I'm going to tell my mom I'm spending the night at James's house. James is going to tell his mom <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm right at my house. And then we're just going to so, go no. smoke, smoke weed in the bayou. Well, we got two more. So our two most recent... Uh, appearances were in 2019's Velvet Buzzsaw, which played a character named Redora. Um, again, another Dan Gilroy project with Jake Gyllenhaal that was pretty hyped at the festival side, but um, didn't really go anywhere, especially awards side and uh, landed on Netflix to mediocre reception. I thought Velvet Buzzsaw was like a half of a really good movie. I thought where it was being satirical, I thought it was pretty funny, and I thought they could have turned it into a horror movie. But it was like a f- funny movie that had a horror element, and the horror element of it was supposed to be taken very seriously. And I think that's kind of where it's flat. I would lean more towards the critic rating on this, which is in like the 60s. Like, I thought it was, it was okay. Uh, yeah. The audience hated it, and they have it in the 30s. But I thought the parts that were supposed to be funny, I thought were funny. It was the horror element of it I didn't think landed that great. And uh, her character is pretty central to the concept of the movie and Bel- Velvet Buzzsaw, and she is the last death of the movie. Spoiler. Again, I think her and Joan Hall clearly have a chemistry, because they both play these like pompous characters that are a little quirky really well, and to the point where it is funny watching them interact with each other. It's when it gets to like the dark side of it that you're like, oh, I was just laughing a second ago, and this isn't supposed to be a funny death. This is supposed to be a serious one, and I don't think it's that scary. And then finally, as we had mentioned before, she made her uh, her appearance in Avengers Endgame in a uh, important moment for Thor's character. Mm-hmm. And that is the career of Rene Russo. So Rigby, 
I know the last couple we've been struggling to find some top performances, but I have a feeling that you were able to dig something up for us since Russo's been around for 30 plus years. The blog is called Off the Record, On the QT, and Very Hush Hush, which is a reference to my, one of my favorite movies ever, and that's LA Confidential. Yeah. Okay. His name is Craig Sutherland. He rates the top five Rene Russo performances. The list is from 2014. Yeah, top five performances. Who wants to who wants to start with Nightcrawler, with, number one. Nightcrawler is number two. Oh. Thomas Crown Affair. Thomas Crown is number one. Yeah, that makes yes. sense. Tin Cup. Tin Cup number three. Lethal Weapon three. Nope. No Lethal Weapon on here. Oh. What about Major League? Major League is not on here. What the? F- Outbreak. Oh. Outbreak is number five. And then give me Rocky and Bullwinkle number five. <laughs> <laughs> Round us out. Nope. Nope. Two for the money. Nope. Ransom. Nope. Showtime. Get Shorty. Nope. In the Line of Fire. In the Line of Fire, number four. Oh, okay. I think we just guessed about every movie, though. So good job, guys. <laughs> I just started reading down the list. I haven't seen the Thomas Crown Affair enough to, to comment on it, but I think I definitely think Nightcrawler is in her top two, so I would agree with this list for sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, and it speaks to her ability when uh, Nightcrawler's later in her career, not, not earlier. I mean, she's... Yeah, the, t- the 2000s were pretty brutal, but otherwise yeah. she's done some pretty good work. All right, we're going to get into the Munson meter. Uh, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you know what this is going to be. If you're a new listener, the way this works, we rank each actor on a scale of 0 to 100. We average it out. We look at things like their longevity, their choice of projects, their pop culture impact, their range as an actor, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life. Um, their comedic chops, and then their success at the box office, among other things that are important to us. So with that all said, uh, James is going to get us started. I am very much uh, in the belief that she will be on the higher end of the scale for me, so I'm assuming I'm giving one of the higher ones here. Uh, there's a couple reasons why. First, when going through her filmography, I was shocked by the amount of prominent actors that she has held her own against yep. and played the opposite of over like the last 30 years. Uh, listen to this list. Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood, John Travolta, Pierce Brosnan, Dustin Hoffman, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Chris Hemsworth. What she has that not all those people have is she's still doing it. Like Mel Gibson and Kevin Costner, you could say their peak was higher haven't heard from them in a minute. John Travolta is only putting out bombs every once in a while. Pierce Brosnan's a secondary character here or there when Will Ferrell's got the time of day for him. Like <laughs> she's still doing it. And so like while she might not be the most prominent, this longevity is something that most actors would kill for. Yep. She's a legend in the games. She's always thrived as like a, a feisty counter to the strong lead and most actresses or actors would kill to be able to be relevant in three different decades like she's been. When I think of the 90s, she's one of the first actresses I think of. The only thing I take away from her score is that she hasn't won many awards and she's often not been the lead character. Other than that, though, I don't see any negatives here. I think as she gets further into her career, she'll be able to choose more specific roles like Nightcrawl. And I think we can finally get that next part where maybe she could take a dramatic role that makes her projected and get some awards like she doesn't have at the moment. For that, all that being said, I'm going to give her an 80. James, I'm surprised you didn't uh, knock her at least a point for being a Red Sox fan. 
figure that was going to be part of your scoring system. No, uh, as I mentioned in our group chat, the only re- other reason I knocked her is that uh, in the Thomas Crown Affair, her character is from Lima, Ohio, which is the district <laughs> that elected Jim Jordan uh, to Congress, and that is irreprehensible. And so for that, I knocked some points as well. <laughs> you can't. I think our listeners will understand you cannot forgive that. So nope. Even if it. it's fake, I don't care. Uh, you know, early on, you could at least say something about changing the background of the character. You should have the foresight to know what's <laughs> going to happen 25 years later. Please. <laughs> Love it. All right. I'm going second. Um, I, I really like Renee Russo. I like her story. I like her background. Comes from a very blue collar background. Um, I, fun little nugget. She was nicknamed the Jolly Green Giant in high school, um, which was probably the main reason why she dropped out in 10th grade. Um, you know, names like that don't really do great things for your adolescent development. Um, but the way she grinded, worked part-time jobs. She worked in a movie theater. She was a hostess. She was a cashier at Disneyland. Um, and she had a real, before her film and TV career, she had a really successful, um, career in modeling. So I got to give her credit Mm -hmm. there. Knock at her in a lot of the same areas. There's some range that I wish I would have seen. She plays a lot of similar characters and then obviously awards. She takes a hit, but from a longevity standpoint, I mean, 32 years acting, and she's done just as many films during that time. Um, You know, it's different than what we've looked at previously, but generally speaking, she stayed pretty busy, and she seems to pick roles that align with who she is as a person and her her values. Um, And I like that she's very open with her battle with mental health and and things Mm -hmm. like that, because you just don't see that a ton. Mm -hmm. One last thing I noted, she was originally cast in Batman Forever as Dr. Chase Meridian, until Keaton was replaced by Val Kilmer. So the role she didn't have um, has nothing to do with the score, but we just didn't mention it, and (laughs) thought I'd throw it in there. So with all that said, my score is going to land at a 75. Case? Well, you guys have hit on a couple of my top points. You know, James, you talked about the, the major leading men that she played alongside. You know, one of the things you didn't point out is most of them, it was at the peak of their career. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's going punch for punch with those guys. And I'm sitting here thinking about, I was trying to think of all the great and, and well-known leading men in the 80s and 90s. And the only two I, I don't think she's played with was Tom Cruise and Bruce Willis. Otherwise, everybody else she, is, she has had a role with. And I think that's really impressive. And I think it says a lot about her in terms of being, you know, easy to work with. And I, I think, you know, the people are wanting to do projects with her. And I think that says a lot. She is an A-lister in the 90s, with, without a doubt. I mean, today, we're still, most people know the name Renee Russo. Kyle, I agree. I, I appreciate that she's been outspoken about mental health. I've seen in a couple of different interviews, she's very selective about the roles that she takes. And the more that, that we do these actors and actresses, I, I value that even more. The other thing that she has working for me is there's a huge nostalgia factor. And so my my score for her, and it's it's fueled with a lot of nostalgia, is a 78. Warren? It's crazy when you think, like, every other actor that we've covered, there's been, like, this ramp-up period. There's been TV shows. There's been all that stuff. I'm glad she didn't do TV. Like a lot of the TV is just kind of fucking boring anyways. <laughs> so to, so to turn from like modeling and like your first movie is major league. Like that's, that is incredible. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I looked at her filmography right before we started and I want to say maybe four of the movies I hadn't heard of, but I'd seen a ton. Of, I'd seen a lot of them before. And so, yeah, it's, it's a nostalgia <laughs> factor and like, 
she's she's just like i i can i the name recognition is there i i actually think that like out of our list definitely top three in in name recognition out of everybody and i would only say it's because of a recency factor she might not be number one compared to everybody else i think uh-huh. like when her name it shows up like you remember and so that was like when she popped back up and thor people were like holy shit like Rene Russo is back. The only place I'm going to really kind of knock her is like th- those roles. Granted the roles in the, in the nineties, like late 90, late eighties, nineties. Like she's really not asked to do much. She does play the same character, but that was like the females in every single one of those movies where they played that role. It was still a little bit of a damsel in distress. There was a little bit of empowerment. There was the independence but she still needs this guy. Um, that was how a lot of them were. They weren't female-centric stories. They were her as a supporting of these male-centric stories. Correct, correct. But yep. yeah, and, and as things grow, the, hard, the easiest thing to compare it to is like her role in Nightcrawler. Yeah. Where she is like, I'm going to use, I'm going to use you as much as you use me. I'm my own person. I'm going to do this. And I'm, I might be just as fucked up in the head as you. <laughs> and so it's really it's really good having that like there is some serious growth over a 20 year where she plays one and she plays like the polar opposite. And so there is that flexibility and that that versatility. We just need to see it a little bit more. I, I do think I don't know how much more she's actually gonna do acting wise, but she could definitely pick and choose whatever the hell she wants. Her name's gonna stick out on on anything. And it's going to help out whatever she does. So I'm going to give her a 78. All right. Sweet. Rigby, round us out. So Russo, when I found out we were doing her, I was very excited because I mentioned that Major League is one of my favorites in the line of fire, Tin Cup. I mean, the list of her movies in the 90s, even Get Shorty, which I don't particularly love, but it's still it's still such a recognizable movie. She, she's you know one of the main build characters in all those movies. So she gets huge points with me on there. We mentioned her career in the, in the 2000s, particularly the early 2000s. She picked some wrong movies to be in for sure, which that happens. And a lot of times they don't recover where she gains more points with me is taking a realizing that she needed to take a break. You know, like you mentioned, Kyle, she's very public about her mental health battle, very public about her political and her activism. I think that's really cool too. A lot of times, you know, actors, I feel like actors, they they do that only to really gain attention and better their career. And I don't think that she was doing that at all because obviously she yep. took a five-year break. And I think that's really admirable. Um, and obviously since she came back, she's been, aside from just getting started, um, she's chose movies really well. I mean, Nightcrawler is one of my top favorite movies of the last 10 years for sure. Yeah. So I don't really have anything bad to say about her. I, I would say that her roles, aside from a handful there's not really the range there. She does kind of play the affectionate love interest to a lot of leading males. And I think I would like to see her do something a little bit more where she does sort of take control of the movie and run with it. All that being said, I'm going to give her a 79. She has the accolades of being in the, in some of my favorite movies. And like Craig said, it's a huge nostalgia factor for her. So this is one of my, definitely one of my favorite actors that we reviewed so far. Hey, Warren, before you give us the average, um, you guys are all pretty convincing. I think I'm going to add two points to my score. I'm going to go up to a 77. I think I'm going to give her some extra credit because I think you guys make good points. Is that the first time that's happened? I respect that. Yeah, it is. And before you go, just so you guys know, one of the other leading men she didn't play with is Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm going to change my score to a 72. (laughs) (laughs) You might be a redneck. (laughs) You didn't catch Larry the Cable Guy at his peak, yeah. I'm out if she didn't hang out with those guys. Yeah, I think your your guys' points about the lead actors and then just, I think, the renaissance of her career, I think I need to give her more credit there. So I'm going to a 77. Warren, what does that bring us in terms of an average? That brings Renee Russo to a 78.4, which puts her at fifth. And she is behind Jessica Chastain and ahead of Ken Watanabe. So what was our range? Was it 77 to 80 with the five of us? Yeah, yeah, 77 to 80. We've, I don't think we've had anybody that tight in terms no, of we, range we, before. We haven't. That's, a, that's very consistent. Interesting. Okay. Well, that says something. All right. So Warren, tell us a little bit about what she's got coming at the ages of 66. This is uh, it's gonna it's gonna take a little while to cover all this stuff. She's got nothing again. She I don't think she's gonna be getting back into the uh, the Marvel thing unless you know maybe she pops up in a, a Loki episode here or there if yeah. I have a flashback. So that hasn't been announced. She hasn't been mentioned. Um, so we'll see. I imagine if we do get any other performance, it'll be like one every two years. It's gonna be pretty sparse. Let's hope that it's a Dan Gilroy and Gyllenhaal Hall related movie for sure. Yeah, if you're a betting man, it's probably going to be a Gilroy movie. Let's just, that's mm-hmm. a safe bet. All right, we got five actors that we're going to throw onto the wheel for the next episode. Those five are Anne Hathaway, Gary Cole, Anna Kendrick, Rachel Wise, and Bill Murray. Star-studded here, fellas. That's, that's a, a good. That's list. a great wheel. That's an incredible wheel. Yeah, it is. And, and it's weird to say, like, out of those, I'd probably say Gary Cole's like the one i don't want to do but i do yeah, he's hilarious <laughs> yeah he was in in the, in the line of fire oh yeah. yeah that's right he was very young and non non-grade hair and gary cole he's in some really good comedies like ricky bobby and dodgeball oh, shit he's the dad in that yeah hey respect gotta lay off the peyote yeah he's hilarious mm-hmm. tremendous and veep as well mm-hmm. if we if we end up doing bill murray i think we need to do two episodes we, <laughs> I just, we may I have to I can't, I can't see how we could possibly do it in in one. Two part. No, no, I don't disagree with you. Actors of his caliber. The only thing that makes me nervous is uh, with Rachel Weiss is I would have to watch The Lobster again. And the first half of that movie is very funny. And the second half of that movie is legitimately the most depressed I've ever been watching a movie. What what movie was that? <laughs> the Lobster. Oh, man. Oh. Fuck that movie, dude. Yorgos. Yorgos. That movie really <laughs> sucks. The second half of it, I felt like my eyes were getting pulled out of their sockets myself. I would liken Kendrick to Gary Cole in terms of just like fun roles. Yeah. Like she just plays a lot of like fun characters. <laughs> we probably have to watch Pitch Perfect, which um, I think our that, listeners would uh, bring be it. overjoyed. Let's go. Yeah, it's a good movie, man. Seen him. And Anne Hathaway is just such an interesting human. Like her ups and downs. She's in some really good movies, has some great roles, but is kind of notorious for being an asshole too. So is that true? Be, I thought everyone. I thought she was like someone who like social media just like screwed. Yeah, people just decided they didn't like her. Is she actually an ass? It probably depends on who you ask. Fair enough. We'll throw these on the wheel, and two weeks from today, you will uh, see the next episode that will hit, and that will be episode twenty. Episode Ooh, twenty, fellas. Wow. Pop the, the uh, bottle! Holy cow! Oh yeah, we're getting to episode twenty. So as always, the wheel decides. The wheel decides. Warren, just give me a uh, anybody but Margot Martindale. <laughs> but for the off chance that Margot Martindale, you're a fan, I apologize. I, I I really I think you have an incredible career. Nothing nothing against you. 
We haven't apologized to an actor in a while. This feels like a return to early months and days. I like it. <laughs> she's such a nice lady. She she doesn't Dude, she doesn't awesome. deserve it. Our next podcast is going to hit on October eighth. My goodness, we're already in October. Um, our featured guest is Laura Benicky. She's going to be our first actor. She's a former actress, and she's going to jump on and talk movies. So there'll be an interesting perspective as we get to know a little bit of Laura's background and see how she contributes to the pod, talking about whichever actor the wheel decides. I can't wait to be absolutely body bagged by somebody who's been in Hollywood, <laughs> just for them to be like, "You are such, you are such a moron!" Like, how could you? Be, you could not be more wrong. So I'm really looking forward to being put in my place. <laughs> watch, it'll be like Rigby. That's going to just get trash. She's going to be like, yeah. "You didn't watch Nickelodeon, you fucking clown." Yeah, I'm fully expecting that, Kyle. No, it's all good. Um, she's fun. She's a lot of fun. Loves talking movies, and she's been uh, she's been excited for weeks now. So I already told her I was like, "Yeah, well, we'll know the the movies we're going to cover here in about a day or so, and I'll let you know so you can pick one." But as always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at Gmail dot com. Love to hear from you. Happy birthday, wifey! Oh, <laughs> happy birthday, yeah, happy Kate. birthday, James! Happy wife. birthday, Kate! <laughs> Your birthday present is to make us some more graphics for our twentieth yeah. episode. Uh, now, yeah, to, please, to, please. To, Shitty, shittiest birthday gift ever. <laughs> yeah, <thank you. laughs> to make sure Chris O'Dowd is still a very sad face. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Any final thoughts from the Munsons? Do you make an effort to be obnoxious, or is it a gift? It's a gift. Wow, time flies when you're being annoyed. All right, Munsons out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?